Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin testified on Capitol Hill. What did lawmakers ask about his failure to tell the president about his hospitalization in January? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. A leading Chinese propaganda outlet said that what, hap- what happened to you exposed, quote, internal chaos. A leading Russian propaganda outlet said that your disappearance, quote, effectively compromised the journalist time. Also, Congress just confirmed a new military leader in the Indo-Pacific as China continues its aggression in the region. What does this all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Friday, March 1st, 2023. A quick heads up, be sure to tune in on Monday for an episode with C4ISR net reporter Colin Demarest on information warfare. First up, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin testified before Congress about his hospitalization and failure to notify the president. Lawmakers grilled Austin, like Indiana Republican Representative Jim Banks. The big issue for me here is either the president is that aloof or you are irrelevant. Which one is it, Mr. Secretary? That you would go three, That the president would go three days without knowing that his Secretary of Defense is, is not on the job? It's neither. Uh, the president is not aloof and... Uh, and I am, I participate in, uh, in all of the uh, let, let me ask you this. Well, on January 2nd, while you were in the hospital, President Biden was vacationing in the Caribbean. Your deputy, who the president didn't even know had operational control, was on a beach in Puerto Rico. What kind of message does that send to our adversaries? But Democrats, like ranking member of the House Armed Services Committee, Adam Smith, defended transfers of authorities to the Deputy Defense Secretary. It's not remotely surprising to me that the Chinese and the Russians are not going to say anything positive about us. Um, That doesn't come as a surprise to me. They seize on every opportunity to attack the United States. So I don't really take their word for what was going on. And a couple things to drill down on. One is it is fairly routine that the Secretary of Defense will be in places where you are not able to do everything you need to do, and that authority is transferred. I think a lot of people don't fully understand this. So can you walk us through, I mean, how often does it happen that you are in a place where you can't do, you can't be as responsive as you need to be so that you pass the authority on to your deputy secretary? Uh, as pointed out in the uh, 30-day review, there have been a number of times uh, in, uh, uh, in the past where uh, we transferred authorities because of uh, my inability to, to uh, have access to secure communications. For more on the drama from yesterday's hearing, Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers joins us live from the Pentagon. So, Megan, Secretary Austin did shed a little more light on the whole ordeal that occurred on New Year's Day after complications from his prostate cancer treatment. What was his testimony to the House Armed Services Committee? So there were a lot of questions, especially in the beginning of the hearing, about the chain of command and the chain of communications between the president and the Pentagon. Obviously, that was the biggest national security concern um, that a lot of lawmakers had. And so Austin spent a lot of time explaining that he was on call, he was in charge the whole time. Um, You know, he was in the hospital until the point where he was in the ICU and it wasn't that he was too sick. It was that they couldn't get that comms in, uh, communication equipment into into his room. And so then his team said, hey, we need to um, you know, delegate these authorities to the deputy 
Secretary of Defense so that she is on the line, you know, if anything happens, if anybody needs to get a hold of the Pentagon. Um, the other things were a lot of questions about how is it possible that no one on uh, no one on your staff and you thought that you should inform the president that you uh, weren't going to be at work. Um, and Austin gave the closest we have to an explanation um, that we've been able to get throughout this entire thing. When this initially came to light, a bipartisan group of lawmakers did call for Austin's resignation, or at least some form of accountability over the instance. But what were lawmakers saying during the hearing yesterday? So there were a lot of questions about, you know, how could you not fire anyone on your staff if you, in fact, believe that it was your staff's responsibility to inform the president? Um, How is it possible that you yourself aren't being fired or otherwise, um, you know, disciplined for this? Sort of the issue there is that Lloyd Austin is a political appointee, right? He serves at the pleasure of the president. So if the president as he has, takes a look at this situation and says like, yeah, this wasn't ideal, but I accept your apology and I accept your explanation and, and your commitment to, to never do this again, then that's all that matters. If if President Biden says that this is okay, then it's okay. Austin doesn't have to tender his resignation. There's been no actual discussion of that. You know, for a lot of these lawmakers, they made the comparison of, well, what would happen if, uh, you know, Austin was a uniformed service member and he didn't show up to work? It's true that a uniformed service member could be prosecuted for not showing up to work and not telling anybody, but Austin's not a uniformed service member, right? Like I said, he serves at the pleasure of the president. He's a civilian. So while it is confusing those different maybe um, proceedings for each side, Austin's in a very different situation than, for instance, a junior enlisted service member would be. Another important story, the Senate on Wednesday night confirmed the top military officer at U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. Admiral Samuel Parparo was advanced by a voice vote without any objections late Wednesday evening. Parparo will replace Admiral John Aquilino. He currently serves as commander of U.S. Pacific Fleet and was nominated for the new role last August. During his confirmation hearing on February 1st, Paparo listed China, Russia, and North Korea as the most pressing threats to U.S. military interests in the Pacific. Here's why it matters. Indo-PACOM is home to the United States' top strategic adversary, that's China. Some experts believe that China could invade Taiwan as early as 2027. A Top Gun graduate, Paparo has logged more than 6,000 hours flying the F-14 Tomcat, the F-15 Eagle, and the F-A-18 Super Hornet. He has 1,100 carrier landings under his belt, and as a fighter pilot, he took out a surface-to-air missile site in Kandahar during the invasion of Afghanistan in October 2001. indo oversees more than 380,000 American service members stationed overseas and is responsible for all U.S. military activities in 36 nations. Also on your radar for today, Congress yesterday passed its fourth consecutive short-term spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. The measure extends Defense Department funding through March 22nd. Lawmakers have yet to pass a full budget for the fiscal year that started on October 1st. That uncertainty has raised concerns in the Pentagon that Congress may put the department on a full-year continuing resolution with a 1% sequester. Here's why it matters. Without a defense budget, the Pentagon is unable to implement new modernization programs and expand the defense industrial base. It also slows training and other personnel initiatives not covered by earlier funding. If Congress does not pass a full federal budget by April 30th, the government will automatically finish the fiscal year under a continuing resolution that will cut spending by 1% across the board. 
The House voted by a wide margin, 320 votes to 99 votes, to approve the fourth temporary spending measure so far this fiscal year. The Senate followed suit shortly after. Under the latest stopgap, funds for Veterans Affairs and Military Construction will expire on March 8th. That's two weeks before Defense Department funding runs out. Congress is expected to vote on the fiscal year 2024 Veterans Affairs and Military Construction spending bill next week, but lawmakers have yet to finalize the fiscal year 2024 Pentagon spending bill. The right-wing House Freedom Caucus has insisted on several provisions in the appropriations bill that Democrats have ruled out. That includes bans on the Pentagon's abortion travel leave policy and medical care for transgender troops. And now here's some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. India yesterday said it began replacing dozens of its military personnel in the Maldives with civilian technical staff who will operate three aircraft given by India to provide humanitarian services. Task and Purpose reported that a Navy officer plans to begin running from Santa Monica to New York City today in an attempt to break the world record for a transcontinental run. And the Washington Post reported that Russian President Vladimir Putin used his annual State of the Nation address yesterday to take aim at the West. He threatened to use nuclear weapons against NATO countries if they send forces to help defend Ukraine from a Russian victory. And on this day in history, in 1971, a bomb exploded in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. A group calling itself the Weather Underground claimed credit for the bombing, which was done in protest of the ongoing U.S.-supported Laos invasion. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Myers, Leo Shane III, and Bryant Harris. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Cruz. Have a great day.